Welcome to the latest episode of Bureau 42's series on comic book physics. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This month we're taking another suggestion from a member of the Horizon Labs Facebook group. Uh, this time it was Lex Pendragon's suggestion, and it was one of the first suggestions that came in, looking specifically at the Hulk's jumps. Now, I didn't do it right away because I thought it might be a little too simplistic and there might not be a, a lot of interest there. It's basically projectile motion, right? The Hulk jumps, and he follows all the same physics you cover in high school physics, with the exception that air resistance applies. But then I realized that the Marvel.com official website lists things like the height and weight of different characters, including the Hulk, and they detail some of the quantitative limits. So I remember reading in some early issues of the Hulk that he was able to leap a third of a mile quite easily. Uh, according to Marvel.com, when he gets agitated, he could leap hundreds of miles in a single bound. As readers of the Hulk know, the madder Hulk gets, the stronger Hulk gets, as long as he's green or gray. But if you're the kind of comic book geek I am, you've also been checking into the stats that they have for the characters. And the Hulk is one where there's a big stat that's kind of missing, namely his maximum strength. All the official Marvel measurements, they're in groups. And Hulk's in the range of 100 tons or more, it cannot be measured. And I realized we might be able to take the Hulk's jumps and backpedal and use that to figure out how strong the Hulk is. So that's the approach we're taking this month. So I'm going to do two sets of calculations here, one of them with a third of a mile, which is, you know, just barely hulked out the calm Hulk, the kind that was jumping around the New Mexico desert in the 1960s, back when he was in Tales to Astonish as the backup feature to Ant-Man and Giant-Man, or basically Hank Pym and the Wasp. Yeah, the Hulk was the backup feature, Ant-Man was the lead. Oh, how times have changed. So, and I've also done it for 200 miles. Because the Marvel.com website says hundreds of miles, 200 US miles is the minimum distance that qualifies as hundreds of miles. So as I said, a lot of this comes down to projectile motion. And what we want to do is figure out the range of a jump. Now, how far you go in a jump depends on what angle you jump at, as well as other factors like, are you jumping on level ground? Do you have a headwind, a tailwind, a sidewind? A lot of these factors do come into play. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind. One of them is that when we're jumping, it's usually two-dimensional action, unless we've got some sort of sidewind, we go back to Newton's second laws, which we've discussed before. You need to be pushing off of something. You need to have some level of interaction to feel a force. Without a force, there's no acceleration. So once you leave the ground, the only two forces that apply are air resistance and gravity. We're going to largely ignore air resistance this time around. It gets a lot more complicated and harder to explain in a podcast form. What we need to know is that for the purposes of this calculation, including air resistance, means that the Hulk is stronger and more powerful than the numbers we're going to come up with at the end. Because not only is the Hulk just moving himself, he's also putting in the extra energy that he'd lose to that air resistance and that friction as he moves. So it is largely two-dimensional motion. Now, as with any physics problem, we have the freedom to decide what coordinate system we're going to use and how we're going to orient it in space. Now, in this case, it's most convenient to use the Cartesian coordinate system, named for René Descartes, 
This is the one most people are familiar with, where you've got a horizontal axis, positive numbers to the right, negative to the left, and a vertical axis, positive numbers up, negative numbers down. Uh, philosopher René Descartes, yeah, the same I think therefore I am guy. He was a sick child, lying in bed, looking at a fly crawling across a ceiling and moving across ceiling tiles, and came up with the Cartesian coordinate system that's pretty standard today. Now, as I said, we can orient that in any direction. If we're dealing with a box on a ramp problem, it's convenient to orient the axes in one that's parallel to the surface of the ramp, one that's perpendicular to the surface of the ramp. It means gravity comes out at a funny angle, but all the other forces are in nice angles parallel to one of the axes, which makes them easier to work with. It's the same idea here. The easiest axes to work with are the ones that are parallel to the forces involved. Now, the force of friction you get from air resistance is of a variable direction because it's always opposite the direction of motion. That's part of what makes it complicated. We're going to neglect that. The other force involved is gravity, and that's a vertical up and down direction. It's always in an up and down direction because, quite frankly, the only way to scientifically define down is by saying the direction gravity is pulling you. So gravity's always going down. That's what down means to a scientist. So we will have one axis that's positive upwards in the vertical direction, which means gravity pulls us down in the negative direction. And our other coordinate axis, the one that we're going to call our x-axis, is horizontal to the ground with a positive axis in the direction the Hulk has jumped. So now the question is, what angle of the jump is going to be the optimal? Right? If we think about you know just trying to shuffle forward, we're not going to get very far. Our feet never leave the ground. We stop almost immediately. If we jump straight up, we fall straight down, barring headwinds or tailwinds, and land exactly where we left, up to the limits of the Coriolis force. Neither of these is a very productive jump. So the ideal jump has got to be somewhere in the middle. Now, is it exact center? Is it off at some skewed angle? That's something we can take a look at. When we're neglecting air resistance, all horizontal motion is uniform. When the Hulk leaves the ground, his horizontal momentum and his horizontal speed, so how quickly he's moving parallel to the ground, doesn't change at any point in his jump. Real life, it changes because of air resistance. In this case, it doesn't. There's no change in speed because there's no forces involved and therefore no accelerations. Vertically, we do get an impact. And that's the balance we're trying to get. Right? If you jump more horizontally, then more of your overall speed is in that horizontal direction pushing you forward. And that's the upside. The downside is that gravity pulls you down. You don't have as far to fall and you don't have as much upward speed for gravity to act on or upward momentum. So you land sooner. You're moving faster, but don't move for as long. Conversely, if you jump very high, you get a lot of time in the air, but you don't have a lot of that horizontal momentum to take advantage of. So big hang time, but not very productive in the forward direction. Now, in the real world, we're going to be looking at various factors in terms of what the ideal angle is. Uh, you know, if we're not jumping on level ground, for example, if you're trying to jump over a cliff, well your angle has to be at least high enough to get you over that cliff, so it's going to be skewed vertically. If you have a tailwind, then you want more hang time. You go up. If you've got a headwind, you want to make the most of that horizontal momentum before that wind pushes you back the way you came, so you go you know, a little bit lower than what we're going to find is the ideal. So what we need to take into account is what that ideal direction is. And that ideal direction, or that ideal angle, 
is going to be based on a couple of things. Anytime we're dealing with two-dimensional kinematics, we're basically using information from one dimension to solve for the time involved and then feed that into the other one. In this case, our horizontal distance or the range of that jump is going to be the horizontal component of that speed times the time you're in the air. Now when I say horizontal component of that speed, I mean if you take your x and y axes and draw them on paper and you draw your initial direction, right, so the angle you're going, the moment or the instant I should say you leave the ground, moment is a scientific term, it's technically defined as 90 seconds. 90 seconds can go a long way when you're in a jump. But what you want is to take a look at that and draw that angle. Now, if you remember your Pythagorean theorem, your a squared plus b squared equals c squared, one of the most famous scientific theories or mathematical results, and also fairly unique in that it was named after a guy who probably didn't discover or prove it, then you understand a little bit of the setup. So we have a horizontal piece, we have a vertical piece, they make a right angle, the actual arrow that you've drawn for the direction of the jump, that's the hypotenuse of your right angle triangle. Now, if you remember back to trigonometry, that's what we can use to figure out how far we go horizontally and vertically. So if you jump with an angle theta relative to the ground, then the horizontal component of your speed is going to be your overall speed, so that hypotenuse, that angular direction, times the cosine of the angle you make with the ground, and the vertical piece is going to be your overall speed times the sine of the angle you make with the ground. Your horizontal speed will not change during the course of a jump with no air friction. Your vertical speed will. It'll start reducing immediately when you jump up because gravity is pulling you down. So because horizontally we have no accelerated motion, the equation we're dealing with is just distance equals speed times time, or velocity times time. So in this case, if we say r for range is our distance, then we get r equals v, the initial speed, times the cosine of theta, times t for the time that the Hulk is in the air. Now vertically it's a little bit different because it is accelerated. We have to use one of the other so-called big four kinematic equations, where the final distance or displacement is equal to the initial displacement plus the initial vertical speed times time plus one half of the acceleration due to gravity times time squared. There's no brackets in that equation. It's a little hard to convey that over a podcast and when we just have a verbal medium. Now, if we are looking at the New Mexico desert for the Hulk to jump, it's a fairly reasonable assumption that his initial vertical displacement, ground level, is going to be the same as the final ones. So we're going to assume that there's no great changes in altitude as he's jumping. Which means that the initial and final displacements are equal to each other. So if we move the initial displacement to the other side of the equation, subtract the two, we're going to get zero. That leaves us with the initial vertical speed times time plus half of the acceleration times time squared equals zero. If we solve for t, first by taking the term with the initial velocity and the time and moving it to the other side of the equation, so we have negative vyt equals one-half at squared, divide both sides by one-half at, then one side of the equation is just going to be time. The other side of the equation is going to be negative 2 times the initial vertical velocity, all divided by the acceleration. Yes, there is a negative in that equation, 
and negative time is not going to make a lot of sense in this context, the final result will be positive because we start by jumping up. So our V is in the positive direction. Our angle is less than 90. So the sine that we have when we break down Vy into V times sine theta, that sine will also be positive. But our denominator, the acceleration due to gravity, that is a negative number because the Hulk is being drawn closer to Earth. So if we take this expression for time and substitute it back into the one we had horizontally, then we get that our range is equal to negative 2 times the initial speed squared times cosine of theta times sine of theta all over the acceleration due to gravity. Now we want to see where this is a maximum. The first time you're running into this, usually about grade 11 or grade 10, the way that you figure out the maximum is essentially by graphing it and then looking for the maximum height. When you advance to calculus, you find a slightly more efficient way. You're not just eyeballing the maximum height, you're saying, okay, when we have a maximum height, that's when our direction changes from upward to downward. So if we look at the slope of position time, change in position over change in time, that's our speed. If we find the point where that initial vertical speed is zero, then we've got a nice flat level piece. That's where we find the maximum speed over time. We can take the same concept here for range and figure out, okay, if we look at how the range changes with respect to angle and graph that, so range on the vertical axis, angle on the horizontal axis, we can apply the same logic and look for the point where the slope is zero. Now we don't have to just eyeball it. With calculus, that's just a matter of what we call taking the derivative. So it doesn't make a lot of sense if you haven't taken calculus, if you've taken at least one semester of calculus, you at least have an idea of what's going on, even if you're a little rusty in terms of actually taking the derivative of something with trait functions. We essentially apply the product rule here. So the negative 2v squared over a piece has no dependence on the angle. So that we're just still going to keep multiplied out front as though it's a constant. And then we look at how cos theta sine theta changes with respect to theta. Well, the derivative or the slope of cos theta sine theta is cos squared theta minus sine squared theta. That's because the slope of sine is cosine and the slope of cosine is negative sine. The product when we're taking derivatives say you take the derivative of one and leave the other alone and then add what you get when you do it the other way around. Leave the first one alone and take the derivative of the second. So we force that to equal zero, which gives us a constant times cosine squared minus sine squared, and that whole thing equals zero. We know our constant is not zero. Our acceleration to gravity is not zero. Our initial speed is not zero. It's not much of a jump if it is. So that leaves us with cos squared minus sine squared equals zero, or cos squared equals sine squared. If we're jumping up, we're in that zero to 180 degree angle range, or zero to pi radians, if that's your preferred measure of angle, that leaves us with two options, 45 degrees or 135 degrees. So the optimal angle to jump when you're leaving the ground is 45 degrees. So let's put that in our equation. Now both sine and cosine at 45 degrees work out to one over the square root of two. We have two of them that gives us one over two. Our equation already has a two in it in the numerator. Those twos cancel. So our range simplifies to 
the negative of the initial velocity squared, and that's the overall velocity, the hypotenuse, divided by the acceleration due to gravity. So negative v squared over a, where a is a negative number. So if we manipulate that formula and solve for the initial speed, well, if we're going a third of a mile, that initial speed is 72.5 meters per second, or 261 kilometers an hour, or 162 miles per hour. So that's a pretty good clip when you're leaving the ground. Now, according to Marvel.com, the mass of the Hulk is variable. Depends on whether he's green, whether he's gray, whether he's savage, whether he's the professor. His greatest mass and greatest height were also when he got his greatest jumping distance. So those are the numbers I'm using. His greatest mass is listed as 1,400 pounds, or about 635 kilograms. So if we've got something at 635 kilograms and about 72.5 meters per second, that means the Hulk leaves the ground with a kinetic energy, or the energy of motion, of 1.67 times 10 to the 5 joules. Now that energy came from his legs. So he just pushed against the earth because the mass of the Hulk, even at 1,400 pounds, is inconsequential compared to the mass of the earth. We don't really notice the earth move. We notice the Hulk move. But all of that is being directed against the earth, and that's what propels him into the air. So that will tell us the force that the Hulk applied to the ground as long as we figure out what distance he moved during that jump. Now, looking at the way the Hulk is typically drawn, especially in his strongest and most savage form, I'm going to say that when he squats to when he stands, you get about a 20% reduction in height because of his legs. So if he starts off 8 feet tall, which is also listed on marvel.com, or 2.44 meters tall, if you, like me, grew up in a country that understands sensible and useful units for scientific purposes, then we find that the force he applied is applied over 0.488 meters, or you know, 0.2 times his height, his height divided by 5. Now the change in energy, or the amount of work done scientifically over something, is the average force applied times the distance it was applied over. So this kinetic energy came from that jump. That means the force his legs applied is the kinetic energy he gained, or that 1.67 times 10 to the 5 joules, divided by the distance of 0.488 meters. That is a force of 3.43 times 10 to the 6 newtons, or 3.43 million newtons. If you prefer pound force, it's 7.70 times 10 to the 5, or 770,000 pounds of force coming off of those legs. So, dividing that by the acceleration due to gravity, I use negative 9.80665 meters per second squared. Some people are probably used to 32 feet per second squared. And if Hulk's arms are just as strong as his legs, the force he applies with his arms, or the amount he can lift in opposition to gravity, works out to lifting a mass of 3.49 times 10 to the 5 kilograms, or 385 U.S. tons. And that's when he's relatively calm and just barely angry enough to be the Hulk rather than Bruce Banner. But if we go back through our algebra, the initial speed is the square root of the negative range times acceleration. If we change that range from a third of a mile to 200 miles, which, as we said, was the smallest distance that'll get you into hundreds, plural hundred of miles, well, that means the range is proportional 
to your speed squared, which is then proportional to your kinetic energy, which is then proportional to your force applied. So if the Hulk is mad enough to jump 600 times farther, he's strong enough to lift 600 times more mass. So redoing the calculations with that in place, the Hulk, when he's as mad as he was when he leapt hundreds of miles or 200 miles, when that record was made, he was strong enough to lift 2.10 times 10 to the 8 kilograms or 231,000 U.S. tons. 231,000 tons sounds pretty significant to me. And again, that's the numbers that we get ignoring air resistance. So the fact that he's strong enough to overcome air resistance tells us he's got more strength than that. And air resistance is not such a big deal when you're lifting as opposed to when you're jumping. So there we go. Jumping is a perfectly viable mode of transport for the Hulk, aside from the way it's actually depicted in the 60s. If you go back to those old tales to astonish days, there are many, many times when Hulk exerts his great muscles and changes his direction while he's in the air. That just doesn't happen. Once you're in the air, you are committed to that flight path. We discussed this a little bit in the Thor's Hammer and the, the Flight of Thor podcast in the pilot season. So the Hulk can jump essentially as far as he wants to. Uh, for practical purposes, you know, basically jump line of sight. You know, jump to something that you can see, but he certainly has the potential to do so. This also helps us establish a baseline for how much strength that he has, assuming his leg strength is equal to his arm strength. If there's an imbalance, we'd have to make those adjustments. But that's what we have to say about the Hulk's jumping and his strength. Uh, please join us again next month. As always, you are welcome to suggest new topics to cover down the road, either elements of comic books that you'd like to see me explore the physics of, or on the other hand, if there's topics in physics you're interested in, you can throw those out and I'll see if I can find the comic book connection to bring it into the podcast. So that's all we have for this month. Join us on the last Wednesday of next month for the next chapter of Comic Book Physics through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler, and once again, thank you for listening.